Hey family, this is Josh Eggerson. I want to thank you for tuning in to the Faith Restored podcast. Faith Restored is a local church with a global mission to reach the lost and teach the found. And it's our hope that the word you're about to hear today encourages you, inspires you, and builds your faith. If you'd like to learn more about Faith Restored, you can visit us on our website at faithrestored.church. Now let's go live into this week's message. Praised and glorified. If you have your Bibles while you're yet standing, turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, and I'm going to read one verse in your hearing. Verse 32. Ephesians chapter 4, beginning at verse 32. How many of you have been enjoying this series on relationships? Amen. And if you're able to stand, it's our custom here that we stand for the reading of God's word. Amen. It's only one verse, so I promise you won't be standing as long as I am. Praise the Lord. Ephesians chapter 4, verse number 32. Hear the word of the Lord. It says, be kind to one another. Somebody say, be kind. Tenderhearted. Forgiving each other. Just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. Be kind to one another. Tenderhearted. Forgiving each other. Just in just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. Amen. Do me a favor and look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, I'm about to start using the F word. Amen. You can be seated in the presence of the Lord. Amen. (laughs) Amen. (laughs) I was nervous about that title, Lady T, because we got some ratchet saints at Faith Restore. And I didn't want them to think I was giving them license to use the other F word. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for your word. We ask you to help us now in the strong name of Jesus Christ. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Lord, you are my strength and my redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I'm about to start using the F word. Most of us desire and have asked God at one point or another for healthy relationships. We may not post about it all the time on our social media pages. We may not even talk about it to our closest friends. But if we would be honest, all of us desire or have desired fruitful and long-lasting relationships. And if this is truly our desire, then it's important that we identify and understand what the biggest threat to our relationships really is. I know that research suggests that the leading cause of divorce is finances, but as kingdom citizens, disagreements about our finances are not the biggest threat to our relationships. I know that oftentimes lies and the betrayal of our trust can cause a relationship to fall apart. But although dishonesty is a threat, it is not the biggest threat to our relationships. I even understand that cheating and infidelity can cause tremendous pain and be the deal breaker for many of our relationships, but I would suggest that not even cheating is the biggest threat to our relationships. Because although all of these things are real and they are painful and they can bring a relationship down from the inside out, I don't believe they even come close to what the real threat to our relationships really is. Because more than money issues, more than dishonesty, more than infidelity, the biggest threat to our relationships is unforgiveness. 
And if we would be honest, many of us have, to, have had to lay certain relationships to rest because we were hurt by a person who we were in relationship with and we couldn't find it in our hearts to forgive. We may not realize it, but unforgiveness, beloved, is the poison that slowly eats away at our relationships. It is the wedge, in fact, that inevitably drives us farther away from the people that we love. Unforgiveness keeps us paralyzed in the past and unable to move forward into the future because we can't let go of the offense and of the pain that it caused us. And so we are hindered in our progress because God will not allow us to walk into tomorrow's blessings while we are still rehearsing and holding on to yesterday's pain. And I know that in church we've trained ourselves to pretend like everything's all good and to act like we're not mad at anybody. But I know that there is someone under the sound of my voice who is like me and knows what it feels like to be hurt, betrayed, and taken advantage of by a person or by a group of people. And instead of releasing that offense to God like we know we should, we hold on to the memory of how bad it hurt us and how miserable it made us feel because we feel like if we hold on to the pain, and remember what they did we can make sure that no one ever gets to hurt us like that again is there anybody here who can admit that sometimes you struggle with forgiveness that sometimes you struggle with compassion and with extending grace to those who have wronged you and although you may not want to admit it out loud it has cost you dearly in the area of relationships this is because for unforgiveness is one of the chief killers of our relationships when we refuse to forgive we not only deny others the beauty of the gift of grace but we also harm our and those around us because we are constantly drinking from the bitter well flowing from the pain of our past but if we really desire healing from our past health in our present and hope for our future then we have to decide to release the offenses against us and extend forgiveness to every person and every group of people that has caused us pain including ourselves this is difficult for us to put into practice because when it comes to relationships relationships and to matters of the heart we would rather lean into and listen to our flesh and if our flesh had its way we would rather hold on to the offenses against us than release them to God in forgiveness and we do this because number one our fear will not allow us to see that God has redemptive purpose in our pain God help me I'm preaching already y'all just don't know it yet our fear our our pain will not allow us to understand that God has the ability Ability to redeem and use our pain for our ultimate good and his ultimate glory deep down inside of every person who holds on to an offense or holds on to a grudge there is a root of fear somebody say fear and that fear stems from the belief that wh whether we'll admit it freely or not that we have that we feel like we have to protect ourselves from future pain by holding on to past offenses against us but this fear keeps us from recognizing the redemptive reality that no matter how painful a situation was if God allowed it then that means he has purpose in it God help me the trick of the enemy is to get us to believe that God doesn't care about the pain that 
that we go through and that we have to take authority over our own lives to make sure that we don't have to deal with pain in our marriages, pain in our families, pain in our friendships, pain in our relationships with our children. But God has not called us as his people to protect ourselves. He has called us to trust him, even in the midst of situations that cause us to question his intentions toward us, because even though it doesn't look like it, he is using the pain of our lives to produce something in us that we would have never been able to produce had it not been for the pain. God help me. Oh God, y'all sleep on me. This means then that we've got to trust God enough to accept the fact that he may not spare us from all pain in relationships, but he will use all pain in relationships to make us better. God help me. I, I know it may not feel like it now, but every tear that you've cried, every disappointment you've had to deal with in relationships has really worked to bring you closer to the person that God wanted you to become. As a matter of fact, if you look over every relationship you cried over, every time you had to experience pain, everything that you cried about late in the midnight hour when no one was around you and you had to deal with yourself and your feelings, when you look back over your life, it really made you better because now you know what not to tolerate in relationships. Now you know when you're a Christian, you can't go looking for a mate at the club. You, you can't go looking for godly things around ungodly people and it made you better than you used to be. But this also means that we have to reject fear and forgive and by faith embrace the reality that the pain that we've suffered in relationships, although real and at times tragic, did not destroy us. And if God allowed us to survive the pain, then that means to, he intends to use it for his glory. God help me. Uh, I heard one of my preaching mentors say something last week that blessed me. Uh, Bishop John Eric Gunn said something. He said, if you make a mistake on Saturday and you still wake up on Sunday, then that means God intended to use Saturday night for his glory. God help me. Oh God, if you had a cough that you would have shouted. If you messed up on Friday night and God let you open up your eyes on Saturday morning, then that means God has every intention of using the pain that you went through to turn you into the object of his desire and his design for your life. That means that the pain I've suffered is not simply going to result in my perfection, but it's also going to bring him glory. God, do me a favor. I know it's early. We got company in the room, but just nudge your neighbor a little bit and say God's going to use it to get some glory. God, help me. Oh God, that's the wrong neighbor. Find somebody on the other side. Say he's going to get some glory out of this. I know you're looking at your marriage and it's crazy. I know you and your spouse aren't getting along. I know you're tired of being single and trying to be sanctified and celibate and holy, but God's going to get some glory out of this situation. I don't care what it looks like. It's a part of the story of God. And God says, I will be glorified in your life. Oh God, but not only do we refuse to forgive because of our pain, not allowing us to see God's redemptive purpose. But secondly, we don't forgive because our pain clouded perspective will not allow us to own the part that we paid in our own pain. God help me. Oh God, sometimes our pain causes us to play the victim when really we were a part of the perpetration of our own pain. God help me. Oh, oh God. So when you're hurt, it's easy for you to say it's me against the world and I ain't got nobody but me. But if you really look at your situation soberly, you'll have to admit that you helped them hurt you. God help me. Oh God, I know I understand that there were some times we go through things and people hurt us and there's nothing that we did wrong because people are sinful and they are wicked and this is the truth of many people around the world.
the world who have suffered trauma that they had absolutely nothing to deal with. And I honestly believe, now I honestly believe that one of the cultures that we're going to have to answer to God for as a nation is the culture of blaming victims when we should be believing victims. But at the same time, another aspect of our culture that we need to answer for is our refusal to re accept responsibility for our actions. As a matter of fact, it is most pervasive in the dominant culture because when a person of color commits a crime, they are painted as a thug, but when a person that's not a person of color commits a crime, they got mental diseases. They, they have a history of abuse. They, they, they don't have to accept responsibility for the things that they've done. And as believers, we have to be able to understand that, yeah, it hurt us, but there were some things that we did that contributed to some of our pain, especially in the areas of relationships. God help me. Okay, y'all ain't gonna say amen, so let me help you. Sometimes we contribute to our pain by doing relationship in the dark. What do you mean, Pastor Josh? What do you mean doing relationship in the dark? Doing relationship in the dark means that we engage in relationship and become emotionally attached without seeking sound spiritual counsel until it's too late. So you get connected to somebody and you start dating them and you start liking them and you start doing things that people who are dating and like each other do. And then you develop the spiritual attachments that come with those type of actions. And now you caught up, but now it's going bad. And you want to call Pastor Josh so Pastor Josh can talk you off the ledge. But you should have been talking to Pastor Josh when he first said hi, when he first gave you his number, when he added you on Facebook. But because you wanted to do things in the dark and do this thing your own way, now you're caught up in a cycle of pain because you were doing relationship in the dark. Why do we do relationship in the dark? The Bible says men love the dark because their deeds are evil. And if you are rejecting accountability, it is probably a sign that you know you're doing something that you ain't got no business doing in the first place. Yeah. Oh, God. Don't, yeah, you, you don't want him to meet your pastor. You don't want him to meet your mama. You don't want him to meet grandma who prays in the Holy Ghost because if they meet grandma who plays in the Holy Ghost, grandma will tell you, Dave, oh, she got a spirit of Jezebel on her. She, uh, she'll tell her, hey, he's just after your body. You don't want nobody to meet him because if they meet him, then you'll have to do relationship and accountability. But some of us are hurting because we're doing relationship in the dark. But God says if you want to be healed, turn the lights on. God, he'll me and I want to speak to everybody in the dark right now everybody who's doing relationship in secret with somebody you know you ain't got no business being with God says turn the lights on come out of the dark stop being in seclusion embrace the accountability of the body of Christ embrace the accountability of Christian community run that thing by somebody instead of calling us when you already jacked up and you don't want to come to church no more and now you don't want to tithe you don't want to serve you don't want to give because your heart is broken spare yourself the pain and stop doing relationship in the dark uh, I'm glad y'all shouted earlier because y'all ain't gonna like me at the end of this message he, uh, you, you gotta stop doing relationship in the dark because that's how we sometimes contribute to our pain uh, by doing relationship in the dark but then sometimes we invite pain hear me by knowingly engaging in relationships that are incongruent with God's will for our lives which is a form of rebellion and rebellion is a breeding gown for pain because God loves you too much to allow you to stay in rebellion. So 
so sometimes God uses the pain uh, of a bad relationship as correction to bring you into alignment with his will God help me sometimes God will let that relationship go bad because he knows you're in rebellion you think this is just the ebbs and flows this is love and war but the devil is a liar they ain't got no business treating you like that y'all ain't got no business fighting like that all the time y'all ain't got no business going through that thing and sometimes God uses that pain to bring you back into alignment with his will and the problem is some of us are still upset with people who don't even know why they treat us that way if you call them today they'll be like you know what I really did love you girl you know I really do miss you I really do appreciate you uh why why you don't call me no more they don't even know why they treated you that way it's because God was using them as an instrument of correction to get you back into the will of God which means instead of despising the person who caused you pain you should be thanking God for them because when they hurt you they actually ran you back into the arms of God which is what you needed to be in the first place God help me I want to do a maturity check in the house today is there anybody here who is mature enough to look back over the history of their relationship and say God I thank you for the pain because when they ran me out of the relationship they ran me back into your arms and now I understand that the safest place in the whole wide world is not in the arms of my baby daddy it's not in the arms of my high school sweetheart it's not in the arms of my ex but the safest place for me is right smack dab in the will of God and if they hadn't hurt me I would have never run back to God but God I thank you that they cuts me out I thank you that they treated me crazy I thank you that they always had me paying for dinner and paying for bills and they irritated me to the place where I had to leave them alone because if I hadn't done it then I would have never found out that you are a lover of my soul when I'm lonely that you are a keeper when I feel like I'm by myself is there anybody here who's grateful okay uh I got to quit so it is the will of God that we stop losing relationships because of unforgiveness as a matter of fact, one of the hallmarks of Christian character is the ability to extend compassionate forgiveness to those who have wronged us in the same way that Christ extends it to us as his chosen. This is the message, beloved, whether you know it or not, that Paul is sending in our text. The book of Ephesians is a book that Paul is writing to the church while he is in prison at Rome. Oh, God, help me. The church at Ephesus. God, help. Let me, let me stop there. Paul is not writing this letter from the comfort of his office uh, in the church. He's, he's not writing this letter from his MacBook in front of his 32-inch uh, UHD uh, color monitor, Jotham. He is in prison. He is in jail. And while he is in jail, though, he still finds time to be a blessing and to minister to somebody else. Pause. Uh, because some of you think that you're, what you're going through is an excuse for you not to be used by God. God, help me. You feel like when you're going through something when you're in prison in pain and in prison in your mind and when you're locked up emotionally you feel like that's an excuse to not let God use you uh, but Paul teaches us by writing this letter from Roman prison that you can be confined and still be assigned at the same time and your confinement does not have to disrupt your assignment God help me oh God look at somebody and say I'm locked up but I still got an assignment God help me I'm locked up in a bad relationship right now Oh, my stuff is going crazy. My credit is jacked up. I don't know how I'm going to pay my bills. I can't stand my job. My baby mama tripping. My baby daddy is lazy. But I still got an assignment. That's why I got up and came to church at 9 o'clock in the morning. It wasn't because I didn't have anything better to do. It's because I have an assignment. And even though I got pain 
in my heart and sickness in my body, I still said, I will enter his gates, God help me, with thanksgiving in my heart. I will enter his courts with praise. Uh, Paul is writing while he is in prison in Rome and the church in Ephesus, like many of the churches in that region of Asia Minor, were fairly young. And so it was Paul's desire to impart to them not only the theological truths of the gospel, but Paul wanted to help them understand how the truth of the gospel affected their everyday lives. Hear me clearly. Paul wanted the church to understand that the gospel of Jesus Christ was not just a message that transformed their eternal destiny, but it was also a truth that should result in transformed behavior especially as it related to how they treated other Christians and dealt with one another. Paul wanted the Ephesian church to understand that just how the God just as the gospel reconciles our vertical relationship with God it should also reconcile our horizontal relationships with one another this is important because we have a society that has effectively separated the love of God from the love of others yeah, you live in a country that tells you you can be a Christian and racist or a Christian and sexist or a Christian and homophobic. A society that tells you can be pro-Jesus and pro-abortion, pro-Jesus and pro-anarchy, pro-Jesus and pro-violence. -pro but the reality is if your view of the gospel does not impact how you treat and interact with the people around you, if your love for God and his word does not translate to a love for people, especially the least the lost and the left out then there is something deficient in the gospel you believe and this is the point that Paul is making in Ephesians chapter 4 Paul is telling the church at Ephesus and telling us that a part of proving that we have really been put into right relationship with God is our ability to fight through the pain and through the offense for right relationship with one another God help me this is important because the text then is in essence teaching us that if we are a forgiven people then we should be a forgiving people let me run that back because y'all didn't catch it if you are a forgiven people if you have really been ransomed and justified and transformed by the gospel then you should be looking for the reconciliation of yourself to others uh, but the problem is it seems like nobody can hold grudges like those who claim to belong to Jesus Christ uh, and I ain't talking about nobody in here but it's some other Christians I know that fit that description I ain't talking about nobody in here don't look at your neighbor like that I'm not talking about nobody in here but there are some Christians who claim to be saved but they ain't talked to a relative in years because they said their dress was too tight at the family reunion and because you made fun of me at the family reunion I ain't speaking to you no more oh, but you say you belong to Jesus if you belong to Jesus then Paul says you should be able to forgive the people who have wronged you like Jesus forgave you, forgave you when you wronged him yeah he, he as believers we should be the ones who are leading the way in terms of the health oh God the health and wholeness of our relationships but in actuality ours are the more or the most fragmented and the most broken because even though we claim to have received the forgiveness of God through Jesus Christ we lack the capacity to extend it to others and even to ourselves God help me as a matter of fact I would start there the reason why most of us cannot forgive others is because deep on the inside we haven't forgiven ourselves for the things that have happened to us God help me I'm not trying to be too deep but I 
I got to go there for just a moment. Some of us are angry and bitter and broken, not simply because of the offenses of other people against us, but because we stayed too long. We we gave too many chances. We we kept opening the door. We we should have told someone, and because we didn't do what we think we should have done in situations past, we are holding our present and our future hostage. But the beauty of the gospel is this, beloved, hear me. When Christ died for you, he didn't just give God a reason to forgive you. He gave you the freedom to forgive yourself because no matter what you went through and no matter how much pain it caused you because of Calvary, God now has a right to use it. And when he uses it, it will be for your good and for his glory. God help me. This means that I can forgive myself, hear me, for what happened to me because my trauma did not distance me from God, but it made him pursue me with reckless love. Oh God, I'm preaching better than y'all looking at me. I I can forgive myself uh, for what happened to me because my trauma didn't distance me from God, but it made him pursue me with reckless love. God help me. We have a tendency, we have a tendency uh, to believe that the things we've gone through make it harder for us to love or, or harder for us to be loved. So we beat ourselves up for every mistake and for every poor decision thinking that we have to make ourselves pay. But the beauty of the love of God is that the thing that we think makes us unlovable is the very thing that causes God to pursue us in relationship in the first place. And we will be able to forgive ourselves if we simply caught the revelation that God knew everything that would happen to us before it happened. Every decision that we would make before we made it. And still he came after us and called us to be his own. Which means that you should be able to be okay with you because a holy God knows everything there is to know about you. Every mistake, every poor choice, every scar, every tear, every one night stand and he still loves you anyway. God help me. Do me a favor. Help me preach this thing before I go crazy in here and say neighbor God help me. He still loves me. God help me. And if he still loves me in spite of my trauma that means that I can forgive myself for my trauma. God help me. Oh God if God knew everything I lied to everybody else about. He he, he knew what happened to me last summer. He knew what happened to me when I was 11 years old and my mama left me with somebody they shouldn't have left me with. God knew all of that and he still loved me. He still came after me. He still pursued me. If God can love you through that then you ought to be able to love yourself because God is the one who determines whether or not you're lovable not your trauma. You are not your pain. You are not what you went through. You are not what happened to you but God loves you in spite of all of that. Uh, I can forgive myself because my trauma didn't distance me from God it made him pursue me with reckless love I can secondly I can forgive myself because I know that the purpose that because of the work of Jesus God now has the right to use all of my pain to prepare me for my purpose yeah uh, because of Jesus God has the right to use all of my pain to prepare me for my purpose. Pastor Josh, where are you getting that from? I, I get this principle from another Pauline letter called Romans. In chapter 8, verse 28, when Paul says, And we know that all things work together for the good of them, check this out, who love God 
and are the called according to his purpose. Let me exegetically work that out for you. It does not say that all things work together for the good of everybody. So stop telling your unsaved family members and your unsaved co-workers all things are working for their good because it's not. The Bible says all things work together for the good of them who love God and who have been called according to his purpose. Which means that if you belong to God, God no longer has to use the circumstances of your life to punish you. But he can use the circumstances of your life to perfect you. God help me. Oh God, because of the cross of Jesus Christ, God is now no longer obligated to use the pain of life only to beat his children. God help me. Uh, but he uses the pain of life to bless his children. This means that I no longer have to punish myself for the pain in my life, but I can release myself and rejoice in the reality that God has redeemed, is redeeming, and will always redeem my pain and use it to prepare me for his purpose. The blessing of being a child of God then is not that God will spare us from the challenges of life, but the blessing is while others are suffering and can't figure out why they're going through what they're going through, God allows us as his children to suffer pain and suffer loss and deal with offense and deal with betrayal and and know that it's all just bringing us closer to the place that he's calling us to be. Look at somebody and tell him, I know it hurt, but because you're his, God is using it to make you better. God, help me. Oh, God, somebody needs to rejoice over the fact that you're his. And because you're his, that means that he can use the pain. The Greek word is sunageo. He can use it to synergistically cause the good days and the bad days to come together and work for your good. God, help me. If you take too much salt by itself it'll make you sick if you get too much sugar by yourself it'll make you sick if you're lactose intolerant if you take milk it'll make you sick sometimes eggs make folks sick but God has a way like a good baker of taking a little bit of salt a little bit of sugar a little bit of milk a little bit of eggs and mixing them together in the mixing bowl of your life and causing them to come out and work for your good somebody needs to understand that because you're his all of the hurt is working together Okay, I got to quit. Uh, so, our natural tendency then is to hold on to offenses and to withhold forgiveness. First of all, from ourselves and then from others. And this works to poison our relationships. It causes us to look at every new relationship through the pain-colored lenses of old relationships and old trauma and the pain that they caused us. And it prevents us from being able to look at our future with hope. And if we want to have healthy relationships, we've got to learn to extend forgiveness. And through this text, Paul teaches the Ephesian church and teaches us that if we're really going to have godly relationships, then we have to learn, we have to develop the spiritual discipline. Of exhibiting godly forgiveness. We have to refuse to allow the fear and our pain to prevent us from extending the blessing of forgiveness to others and receiving the blessing of forgiveness for ourselves. And I know that this is probably the last thing you wanted to hear in a message about relationships. I feel you. I know. I know you want to hear something about uh, uh, dating or, or how to find a new boo or how to, know, how to know that you chose the right one or how to make your mate act right or how to make your spouse do or your significant other do uh, the things that you want them to do. And while all of those things might seem relevant to you right now, 
You might not, you will not make it in life, love, and relationships if you do not learn how to forgive. Because the reality of our lives is simply this. Relationships are an exercise in trust. And I don't mean theological trust. Uh, I mean existential trust. You have to place a degree of trust, not your complete trust, but you have to place a degree of trust in the person that you are in relationship with. The problem with putting your trust in a person is because we are feeble, fallen, and broken. Eventually that person, no matter how good of a man, how good of a woman they are, they will do something to let you down. And if you cannot recover by exhibiting forgiveness when they let you down, whether they let you down a little bit or whether they let you down a lot of bit, if you can't practice forgiveness, then you won't be able to be successful in relationship. See, a lot of times we have this escapist theological viewpoint that causes us to say we don't have to trust nobody but God. And I wish that were true. Right. Uh, and ultimately it is true that we have to put our ultimate trust in God but part of doing life on this earth means I got to trust somebody else and because God wants me to know that my trust in him should never be rivaled by my trust in a person periodically he's going to let people let me down even the most faithful person in your life will disappoint you but if you allow yourself to become embittered and don't forgive, you won't be able to recover and you'll lose valuable relationships because you don't know how to let go of offense. God, help me. <laughs> how many of us have thrown relationships away that we wish we could have back because we couldn't forgive a person for one thing or a couple things that, that they did wrong to us? But if we look at the relationship over its totality, the good days really outweigh the bad. But because we're bitter and we're afraid to be hurt, we let it go because we're offended and we don't know how to let offense go. God, help me. Oh, God. God says that if you really want to be successful in relationship, you've got to learn how to forgive. So then, how do I do it? Paul answers this question for us, and I'm in my seat in verse 32. He says, be kind to one another. Be tenderhearted. <laughs> Forgiving each other. Hold up, Paul. Pastor Paul, this, this is difficult for me. Because I can't cognitively ascertain how to forgive a person that has done me wrong. Because... My mom and them told me, don't let nobody walk all over you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the hood code is fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice. Shame on me. So Paul, how do I forgive when forgiveness is not easy? And the answer is in the last part of the verse. He says, Forgiving one another, how? Just as God in Christ Jesus also has forgiven you. Can I give you a, a, a quick lesson on Ephesians? That, that, that phrase, uh, in Christ Jesus. In, in Christ Jesus. It is repeated throughout the entire letter of uh, Ephesians. Paul says, in 
Christ Jesus. He wants you to know that you do not stand before God on your own accord, but you stand before God in Christ Jesus. He says that because of Christ Jesus, you are forgiven. You are forgiven by God, hear me, in Christ Jesus. For all of my Jesus-only Pentecostals, people who don't believe in the Trinity, that is a triune statement there. He says you are forgiven by God in Christ Jesus. He says the reason why you're able to stand in the grace and in the forgiveness of God is because you don't stand before God as Pastor Josh. You don't stand before God uh, as Ale. You don't stand before God as Felicia. But when you stand before God, he sees not your sin-stained self. He sees the sinless soul of his son who died and bled for you he says you got to forgive just as God in Christ Jesus has forgiven you let me help somebody this should rid you of any delusions of self-righteousness that you have God does not forgive you because of what you've done he forgives you Because of who you've placed your trust in. Which means that you cannot work your way into the forgiveness of God. Okay, Pastor Josh, what are you talking about? What does this have to do with me forgiving people? If you can't work for God's forgiveness, stop trying to make people work for your forgiveness. God, help me. Oh, God. If you are forgiven by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, then you should stop making people try to legalistically prove to you that they ain't going to hurt you no more. If you stayed with them, then be with them. God, help me. Oh, God. Uh, Can I talk? I know we got a lot of single folk in here, but can I talk to some married folk for a minute? If you caught them and you didn't leave, why you keep bringing it up for Why you keep bringing up the past? If you're going to be here, then be here. Love them. God don't keep bringing up your past. God, help me. God doesn't keep bringing up the things you did. Or do you think that you've never done anything that should make God leave you alone? Do you really sit up here and think that you are worthy of the love and the grace of God? That when you lay down, God should wake you up in the morning. The devil is a liar. You should have been dead. You should have been cast off. But God took your sin and placed it as far as the east is from the west. No matter how far you go east you'll never end up on the west side and no matter how far you go west you'll never end up east God says stop bringing it up I know y'all don't want to hear that y'all don't want to hear that because you want to make people prove to you that they sorry yeah yeah show me that you ain't gonna do it no more and I'm not saying that you don't set standard and that you don't put up boundaries and that you don't uh, put in things to safeguard your relationship. That's just good wisdom. But at the same time, Christians have a different standard of forgiveness than the basketball wives and the real housewives of Potomac and the reality TV stars on Married to Medicine that you watch. You can't judge your life by popular culture. You've got to align how you forgive with the word of God. And God says that when you forgive, you forgive like God in Christ forgave you okay (laughs) I got to quit for y'all start throwing y'all phones at me Uh, (laughs) uh, can I give y'all three quick ways three quick ways uh, that I start using the F word you got to start using the F word I'm going to show you three quick ways that you use the F word that you extend forgiveness All right. All right. Uh, number one if I'm going to extend forgiveness I have to understand that forgiveness is an act of obedience rooted in my faith in God, not my feelings toward the offender. Oh, God. Uh, Forgiveness is an act of obedience 
rooted in my faith in God, not my feelings toward the offender. Paul says, forgive as God in Christ has forgiven you. When God extends forgiveness through Christ, he does not relate to you based on his feelings about you and your sin. He relates to you based on the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. God then, if it were possible, extends grace to you because of his son, not by faith, but because of the fact of Jesus Christ. So God then asks you to extend forgiveness to others by faith that he's going to take care of you even if you extend forgiveness and they hurt you again. Yeah. See, some of us allow the fact that we don't like the people that we got to forgive as an excuse for why we can't forgive them. Yeah, I don't fool with them. I, 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 that's an F word. Yeah, I don't fool with them. I'm, I'm trying to keep it PG. Yeah, yeah, but some of y'all, you know, y'all so carnal, y'all say the other word when y'all leave up out of here. Uh, because you don't like a person, you think you don't have to forgive them. But the devil is a liar. God says, I want you to obey me. Even if you obeying me makes them think that you feel something for them that you don't really feel. God, help me. Ooh. Oh, God. See, I, I got meetings scheduled with people and I got stuff I got to do. I got folk I'm preaching for this year that I don't even like. And they think I like them because I accepted the meeting and because I accepted the invitation. And what they don't understand is I'm not relating to you based on you. I'm relating to you based on how God told me to deal with you. I don't even like you. I'm not going to dinner with you. I don't want you to touch my wife and, and kiss my kids and meet my family. It's just like this between me and you. But when I see you, I got to treat you like a brother. I got to hug you like a sister. Not because of how I feel about you, but because I'm being obedient to God. Amen. Am I helping you? Okay. Not only that, but I must remember, hear me, that forgiveness is a seed that I will reap on days when I'm not the victim, but the victimizer. Ooh, uh, forgiveness is a seed that I'm going to reap on days when I'm no longer the victim, but the victimizer. God, help me. Uh, you, you do understand that you don't do everything right all the time, don't you? Uh, I know people hurt you and, and you like peewee. Everybody always picking on me and, and woe is me. And you got problems. I understand. I, I, I know. Uh, woe is me. Poor black people. We, we get it, right? We, everybody always ganging up on us. We get it, right? But sometimes uh, you are not the person getting ganged up on. You are a part of the gang. God, help me. Uh, sometimes you are the perpetrator of wickedness and not just the recipient. Uh, but God says that if you extend forgiveness on days when you've been wronged when you are in the wrong you will reap forgiveness from me Pastor Josh that sounds too good to be true you can't have no Bible for that Jesus says in the Lord's prayer forgive us God help me as we forgive our debtors God help me Jesus says if you cannot extend forgiveness then you can't expect to receive it but sometimes I put forgiveness down as a seed 
God help me oh I don't feel like doing it just like sometimes you don't feel like tithing you don't feel like giving an offering sometimes your money is tight and you don't want to do it but God says the same way you give that tithe when you don't feel like it put that forgiveness as a seed in the ground because one day you're going to need to reap it God help me and you reap what you sow if you're always holding grudges don't expect to receive grace if you're always bringing up the past don't expect your past to be expunged but God says that if you really want to have forgiveness then you got to put a seed in the ground is there anybody here who can say I got seed in the ground I've got people that I've forgiven that ain't even apologized to me I've got dead relatives that can't even say they sorry but I've forgiven them and the reason I did it wasn't because I wanted to but I know one day I'm gonna need God to do the same for me all right I'm done this is this it okay I'm gonna close my Bible so y'all know I'm telling the truth uh so I must understand that forgiveness is an act of obedience rooted in my faith in God, not my feelings toward the offender. I must remember that forgiveness is a seed that I will reap on days when I'm not the victim, but the victimizer. But then lastly, I must believe that forgiveness is an offering that I give by faith, trusting that sooner or later, God will show me the purpose he had in my pain. Oh, God. I must believe that forgiveness is an offering I give to God by faith, trusting that sooner or later he will show me the purpose he had in my pain. Can I talk to somebody that's trying to go through life and you really don't understand why God is calling you to forgive people, why he's calling you to extend grace to some folks, some people that hurt you, some people that did you wrong. He's calling you to reconcile relationship and sit next to them in service and pray for them when they're going through hell. And you don't really understand why everything is happening the way it happened. But God says you got to give forgiveness even when you don't understand. Because God says if you do it as an act of worship, God, help me, as an offering, you're going to, be, you're going to see what plans I have for it in the end. <coughs> I get this from the biblical story of Joseph. <coughs> Joseph had a dream. And just like it is with God dreams, God never tells you all the crazy stuff you're going to have to go through on the way to manifestation of your dream, right? Uh, he tells you, Michelle, to start a church, but he don't tell you you're going to get fired from your job. He, he, he tells you uh, to do stuff, uh, but he doesn't tell you all the hell you're going to have to go through to get there. And when we look at Joseph and his story, what we see is God gives Joseph a dream, but he drags Joseph through the mud of pain and suffering before he gets to his dream. His brothers try to kill him. Then they decide not to kill him. They sell him into slavery. He gets sold into slavery. God blesses him while he's a slave but then because his, his master is a eunuch and can't sexually please his wife oh God his master's wife tries to seduce him and when he tells her no he gets a false sex charge and now he's a sex offender and he got something on his record and he's sitting in jail God help me and then he gets in jail and he helps two people in jail that could get him out but then they forget about him when they get out and then after years he finally gets to the palace and when he gets to the palace and everything's good God done blessed him with a beautiful African bride and he got two beautiful brown skinned baby boys and everything is good now all of a sudden his brothers that sell him into slavery come back and instead of getting his revenge he decides to bless them but that ain't how the story ends 
He blessed him and said, hey, go get daddy and then bring him back down here. I got a place called Goshen. I'm going to let him live in Goshen. But then the Bible says when they get to Goshen, daddy Jacob is getting ready to die. Before he dies, he blesses Joseph's sons. And then he dies. And then the brothers, Genesis chapter 50, if you want to read it when you get home. The brothers say, all right, daddy's dead. Everybody agreed different, but we know Joseph was a daddy's boy, and so this is going to resurrect some old wounds. Joseph about to kill us now because daddy's dead. And if I would be honest, this would be the perfect opportunity I would use, Brother Herman, to get rid of my brothers who tried to kill me. As far as daddy knows, he's in heaven. The Bible says the dead knoweth nothing. Daddy won't know what's going on. If I choose to get rid of my brothers now, they already got kids. The tribes have already been established. I can get rid of them. But Joseph says something interesting in Genesis chapter 50. When it's time for him to get his revenge and to get even with his brothers, he comes to a realization that came to him not by cognitive capacity, but by revelation from the Holy Spirit. He says, brothers, fear not for yourselves or for your children. He said, because you meant it for evil against me. And can I tell you the problem with gospel music? Sometimes gospel music will make us misinterpret scripture for a good song. He didn't say God turned it. I know Ty Tripp said he turned it, but God didn't turn it for good. Because if God had to turn it for good, that means that at some point it was out of God's control. But what Joseph tells his brothers is that you meant it for evil. But from the very beginning, when that thought was first conceived in your mind to hurt me, God meant it for good. Why? We stop there. We shout there. The preacher hoops there. The music starts playing there. But that ain't even the shouting part. It's not just that God meant it for good. Joseph says God meant it for good to bring about what's happening now. The saving of many lives. Meaning that God allowed you to be bad to me so that he could do good not just for you but for the people who are coming after you. God help me. Can I tell you why you got to forgive God help me? Because generations are depending on you. There are people coming after you. The person that hurt you don't even know what's in them. God says I'm about to use you not just to bless the person that hurt you but to bless their children and their children's children and the generation that's coming after him. Can I talk to some single parent that's mad right now? You got to forgive your baby's father. God, help me. For your children's sake, God, help me. Don't allow that child to grow up watching you being bitter with their father. God, help me. Don't allow that child to hear you talking bad about their mother. Don't allow that child to hear you saying wicked things. You got to forgive for the sake of generations that are coming after you. And if you do it by faith, one day you'll look up and see that they meant it for evil. Lord have mercy. I feel like preaching. But God meant it for good. God says you got to forgive. Stand to your feet. God says you got to forgive. Because forgiveness is the key to lasting relationships. Everybody's looking for a cause. Everybody loves a victim. We live in a society that now capitalizes on people's pain. We make monuments and movements out of moments, but we don't celebrate healing.
I'll give you an example. Who knows what happened to the Genesis 6 after the protest stopped? When the last time you heard somebody talk about aid for Haiti? When the last time you saw an article about what's going on with Trayvon Martin's family? Mike Brown's family. Anybody know how Tamir Rice's mother's doing? It's because we capitalize on pain for the sake of inciting riots and anger, creating bitterness and angst. But we don't want to celebrate healing and forgiveness. We look at the family of Botham Jean, Botham John, and he hugs the police officer that shot his brother. And although I won't argue the sociological implications of white privilege, and it's clearly there, we as Christians should be slower to speak because every day we wake up, God hugs us who murdered his son. Our sins murdered Jesus, but every morning God embraces us. And as Christians, yeah, we understand white privilege is real and we've been socialized to forgive them and demonize ourselves. We get that. That's true. That's documented. But the gospel of Jesus Christ gives us an ability to forgive that's past uh, sociological indoctrination. We should be the first ones to forgive. I'm speaking to some married people. If your marriage falls apart, don't let it be because you were bitter. Don't let it be because you can't forgive. Talking to some person that's been hurt by a family member, by a friend, by a relationship. Talking to some church person that was hurt by a leader. Talking to some person that was hurt by a church that when you needed help, when you needed to be shepherded. They talked about your issue. They called you out your name. They put your business out there. Now everybody knows what you're going through. Don't let unforgiveness prevent you from being able to move forward into destiny. How many want to be whole? Yeah, how many want to be whole? I want to be whole. I want to forgive people. I don't want to hold on to this stuff. I want to be whole. Grab your neighbor by the hand. We're getting ready to pray. Father, I thank you for your word. God, I thank you for the challenging prospect of forgiveness. God, we don't see purpose in all of our pain. We don't see purpose in every offense, oh God. But I pray that you allow us as your people, God, to see your hand operating in our lives, even in the things that cause us pain. Even in the instances, oh God, that we're crying and we don't know how we're going to work it out, how we're going to make it. And God, I pray that you allow us by obedience to extend forgiveness. Not based on our feelings, but in faith. 
God, allow us to understand that we're not going to feel like forgiving every day. We're not going to feel like letting it go every day. God, sometimes that person that hurt us is going to trigger us and make us remember the things that they did that caused us pain. But God, I pray that in the triggers, we still trust you. That we stop responding in our flesh and in anger and in malice and in bitterness and in rage. But God, if we can't say nothing good, God, help us to be quiet. Help us to remember that even in seasons of pain, our shut up is anointed. Father, allow us to trust you. Enough to let people go. And now, Father, we call those situations to mind. We call those people to mind and God I pray now by the power of the Holy Ghost you allow us to remember those people who were holding hostage in our mind even if we buried it deep in our subconscious now God I pray that you bring it to the front of our mind so that we can let them go in the name of Jesus Christ Father we let go of every person that victimized and violated us God we let them go God we we let go of every person that called us out of our name, that, that cursed us, that told us we'd never be anything, God. And we've been living life trying to prove them wrong. Father, I'm praying for some man now that he forgive the person that questioned his manhood and made him feel like he had to promote his manhood through illicit sexual activity and through uh, toxic masculinity. God, I pray now for some woman who has had her value uh, diminished by someone who has mistreated her. God, I pray that you give her the ability to forgive and let it go so that she can flourish into the person you've called her to be God even now I'm praying for some child God help me God I'm praying for my children things that I said in anger that I shouldn't have said God I pray that you don't allow it to grow into a root of bitterness in their heart God, I'm praying for every child that has been fussed at by a parent who really didn't know how to do better. And God, they're carrying around that remark, that statement, you're stupid, are you crazy? God, I pray that you even cause our children to forgive and to forget before it damages them. And God, I pray that you heal the child on the inside of these people in this room. Because there's some child inside of these adults here that's still crying because of a, something a father said or a mother said or that a grandmother said. Called them ugly, told them they were too dark, told them that their hair was nappy, told them that something was wrong with them. And now they're focused on their outer appearance. They feel like they've got something to prove. They're insecure. But God, I pray that you heal them now in the name of Jesus Christ. Give us the power to forgive to forgive others and to forgive ourselves in Jesus name amen now come on put your